Hello, hello, hello. The bell has rung, and welcome once again to the Dr. Digital Podcast. Another great episode coming your way. Thanks for listening in. Let's get started. Chapter 1. Don't leave home without it. No parent prepares for a child taken. Nixon died with his 18-minute tape, and I guess Katrin has a videotape as well. Before he left California for Pennsylvania, my wife Anne had her sister videotape us at our going-away party as the Theus family. In retrospect, I noticed that on the tape not once does Anne touch or hold Katrin. Anne rarely saw Katrin early on. I mean, while Katrin crawled, walked, and developed between her first ten weeks of life until she was eight months old. Anne worked double shifts six days a week, and God bless her, she was too tired on the weekends to be involved with our family activities. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. I serenaded Katrin nightly while rocking baby to sleep. And before sleep, no need to burn her diapers after changing them. They did not smell like all the horror stories you hear. She's a keeper, as they say. Katrin's eyes danced to the fluttering fire engine red of the cardinals, the swift blue jays, and the full-breasted, subdued red robins that chirped outside her bedroom window. During the twilight, we hearkened to and spotted these winged visitors, but as night crept to her cozy room, the walls revealed decorative stars, moons, and the Big Dipper. Katrin tranquilly fell to sleep despite her squeaky rocking chair that no amount of oil would solve, but no matter... I commissioned an artist to portray the Pennsylvania State Bird and a sign that read Catron on one street, intersecting with Theus as the cross street. Anne saw little of Catron as a baby, but when Catron was five, Anne increasingly left Catron alone and with other people to watch. Typically, I would come home from work and have to find where Catron was and get her fed to put her to bed for the night. Then one day the house was stripped. That was obvious from the driveway. With the curtains gone, no furniture was visible in the empty house. The house looked even worse now. It was bad enough before. The deferred maintenance rancher was drab, but now it looked disheveled, too. The stone faw front was typical post-war Levittown, Pennsylvania architecture. I had tried to liven up the interior a bit, though, and spruced up the front too, by showing off the matching wood and green flower pattern throughout. Then I tore out the carpets to show the wooden floors and matching exposed wooden beams on the ceilings. Now the house looked abandoned. I ran to the door yelling for our five-year-old child, Katrin, Katrin, I fear she is gone. I unlocked the dead-bolted door, not robbed then, but obviously, but a quick look through the empty house revealed that anything valuable but not nailed down, was long gone. Furniture, antiques, pets, child, and whatever we accumulated in over 11 years of marriage. Okay, I thought, the stuff is gone. Fine. But Katrin? Fighting back my panic, I spotted the tip of a note on the floor where the dining room table used to be. The note was tucked in a book on the John Bonet Ramsey child murder. Dear Paul, I'm going away for a while. I'll call you later. Anne, my wife's note stated. Odd, a friendly toned note. Seems more likely Anne left me and took our daughter. Oh my God, Katrin's gone. She took our little girl away from me. 
More panic-stricken than before, and anxious as to Catron's whereabouts, I tried to think clearly. What should I do? Who should I call? The police? Parents? School? Wife's friends? Where could Catron be? Is she okay? My first call was to the school. Ms. Donna, the extended hour secretary at Catron's school, this is Catron Theus's father. Is Catron still there? Just a sec, Dr. Theus. Let me check. No, I heard papers rustle. Catron was picked up by the Johnsons today. Okay, thanks. No answer at the Johnsons when I phoned, but Catron was often left with my wife's friends. I went through my Rolodex calls. There was no one home, but I can't just wait. I've got to do something. Okay, I'll drive and see if I can find people home. I ran to my rented car. Old, reliable Honda wagon had died. Catron and I had to walk home when it bit the dust. Bought it just before I met her mother. Funny, gone now. Rented cars never fit right. Ouch. Bumped my knee again getting in. Rental cars always too small for my 62198 frame. Too short for hoops, but too tall for rentals. But Catron did like green, so she fell instantly in love with this car. And to me, the engine murmured soothingly. Not enough to dispel that queasy feeling gnawed at my gut, though. Drove along Conestoga Avenue. Main drag. Got to be a cop along here. Yep, my eyes spotted a North Blackland Township police officer. Officer, may I file a missing persons report? I surveyed his uniform. He was immaculately pressed with regular navy blue pants and his blue shirt had a badge pinned to his right side while the radio was attached to his shoulder epaulette. Mm, person gone more than 48 hours? The officer didn't remove his glaring, intimidating cop glasses like the kind you wear on the ski slopes. Shiny, reflective lenses, can't see eyes type, and the policeman stared down at me. Well, I don't know how long she's gone. Just a kid, only five, our daughter, Catron. Below the shiny lenses and in a corner of his lip trickled brown ooze. I do know that she was babysat at the Johnsons today. The cop spat out a slug of tobacco. You can't file a report since you don't know how long your daughter has been gone. Can't you call? The police officer glared but said nothing while he stretched for the phone in his patrol car. Keith Johnson was home from work, found out that my wife's newfound best friend, Selena Diaz, who lived three doors away, had driven my wife and Catron to the airport. The airport? Where did they go? California, the radio crackled. Catron and I hadn't been apart for more than three days on my longest academic trip. In fact, we were bosom buddies because my wife wanted to go right back to work after a baby's birth. We were in Pennsylvania since Catron was 10 weeks old. Anne worked her double shifts at the hospital until Catron was 8 months old, so I provided primary care 6 days a week. Even after my professorship began at the university, I had a teaching schedule to accommodate Catron's needs. Me? Paul M. Theus. Ph.D., mid-40s, slender, short beard, looked like Russell Crowe in The Gladiator, but no hero today scared and totally unprepared. The policeman seemed genuinely sympathetic now, but little he could do. No evidence that Catron was in immediate danger. The little girl was with her mother, after all. And although this cross-country trip was unannounced, kidnapping seemed a bit hasty to conclude. He advised what I could do. 
He suggested I could contact the local police department in California to check on Katrin's welfare. The most likely destination that my wife would show up would be at my mother-in-law's house, Harriet P. Doe. So I placed a call, left a message, and waited. The living room echoed without any furnishings. I sat down on the bare floor to try to get my bearings. What was gone? The red antique dry sink that was just inside the front door, the 70s corner cabinet that being made it our own county, the antique red beater after all, all gone, I reflected on the things taken after walking through the whole house. Indeed, any valuables not nailed down were gone. Funny thing, though, and I realized the humor in all this, the antique poster bed headboard sat disconsolately alone, still bolted to the wall because whoever removed the rest of the bed apparently couldn't get it removed quickly enough, so the headboard stood as a silent sentinel and the only witness to what must have been a feverish day. I called the secure phone lines to check the status of our bank accounts, just as I suspected, emptied. All our money was gone, too. Naive as I was, it suddenly dawned on me why Anne had pushed so hard to get that Castle Federal Credit Union loan for home repairs. More to screw you over with, my dear. Since my reliable Honda wagon had recently died, I was dependent on the rental until I could buy a car. I checked my pockets for cash. How much did I have? Hmm, five dollars and eighty-five cents. I won't get far on that, I thought. Isn't it funny what people value most? Never one to bank much on money. Still, with no car and no money, practically speaking, my financial situation was getting grimmer. Recently, one night at dinner, Selena, Anne, and I speculated about what is most valuable to each of us. The parlor room conversation was, what if there was a fire in your house and you had to get out quickly? What would you take? Kids? Pets? Spouse? Family pictures, usually? Typical replies. Pictures. I stared at the picture. That's really odd, isn't it? Any disposable asset was indeed gone. Anything that could be sold at a profit was removed. But Catron's largest oversized baby picture, the one we both beamed over as proud parents, still stood in pride of place in the living room. Pink headband, a cool hand Luke smile, reaching for a chocolate chip cookie, Catron was there beaming on the wall as always. Odd, though, after a day's packing, it was not considered valuable enough to take. A baby picture is only valuable to loving parents, and Catron had two, a mom and a dad. Ring! The phone th echoed throughout the empty house and jolted me out of my musings. Who the devil could that be, I wonder? Catron? Telemarketer. They think this is an affluent area, but this place is blessed with being poor in spirit. Maybe a mixed blessing. The main line. Bryn Mawr, Swarthmore, and Villanova set the local standards for fashionable, waspish living immortalized in the 1930s Philip Berry play, The Philadelphia Story. This story popularized privileged suburban life in the 1940 movie version starring Katharine Hepburn, Cary Grant, and James Stewart. Proud of their superiority over their distant city cousins, the typical North Blacklander inhabitant is upper mainline in orientation. They feel smugly superior to city dwellers, but mistakenly thought of themselves as part and parcel of Catherine Hepburn's privileged social elite. 
This place near Valley Forge used to have a history, but built by post-war sprawl, it's Strip Mall, USA. I know Anne well, and she is no Catherine Hepburn. Five foot four, always fighting the family weight problem. God bless her, husky build. Met her on a blind date my sister set up. Told Anne straight off I'm leaving California, so she knew from the first where I stood. Not that I dated much in grad school. Okay, hardly at all. But my biological clock was ticking. Anne, too, really wanted a kid, she said and frugal PhDs teaching the liberal arts are not exactly babe magnets, so we met and got engaged within six weeks. Anne lived on her own, graduated high school, a couple years of radiologic technologic training, and she could work with as little education as possible. She hated school, but being a rad tech got her a job straight away and free from her oppressive mother, she told me. People who met her loved her. She's like Cher charismatic celebrity type. She said what? Did what? Always entertaining. Anne thrived on attention and people were enthralled with her. Tart or virgin, Anne could play any role. Like the Apostle Paul, she was all things to all people. Once Anne abandoned the house totally, I had access to the spare bedroom that she had separated herself to four months before and her handwritten note of 12th December 1998 when she deadbolted the extra room and kept the only key to herself. But the room was now open for inspection. Papers were scattered everywhere around the lone standing antique headboard, still bolted to the wall. Obviously, the movers had left hurriedly. A brochure with the weird word piercing in capital letters stuck out conspicuously among the debris and caught my eye. Hmm, what's this, I thought, and picked it up. I read a section entitled, Special Care for Genital Piercings. Quote, After care for genital piercings is the same as most other piercings, with antibacterial soap being the recommended cleaning solution. These piercings are some of the quickest to heal, so care for them is often very easy. Simply follow the instructions under basic piercing care. Sexual activity should be avoided for the first two weeks after getting a genital piercing, but it is not prohibited during the entire healing. If you do not have sex during this time, do not subject the area of the piercing to a lot of abuse, and be sure to clean the piercing immediately afterwards. Men should wear a condom, and women should consider similar protection to reduce the risk of infection. Unprotected oral sex should be avoided during the entire healing. Pay attention to the piercing, and you should be able to realize when you're abusing it more than you should be. Warm saltwater baths can significantly speed healing and soothe piercings. Add one quarter cup sea salt, Epsom salt, and even table salt to hot bath water. Soak as often as possible in the first two weeks, especially the first night. This also helps ease the pain and itching. Close quote. Fascinating. I turned the brochure over. It was from a piercing parlor in the Bohemian South Street section of Philadelphia. As I saw where it was from, a loose paper slipped out and fell to the floor. According to the receipt, 19 days before, Anne had had her labia pierced. She had gotten a bead and gold ring. With her navel piercing and jewelry, this had cost her $143.
I've referred back to the brochure to discover that depending on what port of our labia was pierced, healing would take two to twelve weeks. Now more than ever, I knew what I had to do. Coffee helps me think clearly, so I'll offer a cup at Wawa convenience store. I opened my car door, and her high-pitched voice smacked me, laughing. Joyful and playful, a little girl clutched her dad's hand, and her mirth echoed off the store glass panes. I turned around on my heels and got back in my car. I didn't get coffee that day. I drove right home. Selena, what do you want? Fat and forty, as the sexists say, describes Selena. She is a big-boned woman. Two elementary-age fetal alcohol syndrome kids, speech impediment and all, curly hair, chatty. She had a cock-on-the-walk, domineering and haughty bearing. She hailed from the Caribbean, and she had a handicap sticker for her car, though I never saw a visible handicap. Anne told me Selena is pierced. The less I knew, and where, the better. I knew Selena as the campaign manager for the progressive supervisor who swept her opponent in the last township election. Also, Selena was recently estranged from her husband, Dan, who had left the home three doors down from us. The only real contact I had with Selena's husband, Dan, was a fish dinner Anne and I had with them in happier days, just two days before his departure. He was a quiet, good guy, according to my pre-dinner instructions, and then, once he left, he was a no-good, physically abusive person. I don't know what the truth is. I guess my perception depended on what the neighborhood Yentas, Selena, and Anne thought I should think. I would just rather not be involved in their personal lives, and... It would have been preferable if Selena were not in ours. All I wanted from Selena was that when Katrin was with her, I could get our kid and get on my way. Lately, Selena had a live-in bow since she kicked her husband out. Selena replied, What do you think? And she smirked while surveying the debris of the recent move. I neglected to lock the door, especially since the valuables were gone. Well, I understand that Katrin is on her way to California. You know anything about it? She glanced disdainfully at me while she crossed her arms. She appeared to be looking for something among the papers. Sure, I dropped Anne off at the airport, but I'm not saying where Anne is going. How are you making out? She smiled fully then. What's it to you? Do you know what's going on? Is Katrin okay? Anne left a note, but it didn't say much. I started a mental list while talking. School, grandmother, two aunts, things to gauge what Selena knew. Selena paused with me. Then she said, barely whispering, There's nothing to be concerned about. I cocked my head, leaning forward and strained to hear. And Katrin? She smirked again. Happy. She is happy to see strangers, I grinned. Louder now, she said. Anne's family counts, too. And she released the Palm Sunday branch pinned on my wall, and it fell to the floor. She took a step closer. Katrin does not know them, and I smelled something like whiskey on her breath as I instinctively backed away, reaching for the red antique dry sink behind me. I forgot it's gone. I retreated while stumbling back into a stack of bills which fell over. She laughed. Anne needs a break, and she stepped on the palm branch that had fallen. Can I get Katrin back? Selena started to flutter away. Work it out with Anne. Katrin does not know Anne's family. I picked up the palm, and I stayed within earshot. 
I think she plans on coming back after she is ready, but I'm not telling you where she went. Selena stepped away and out the door. At a safe distance, I said, Katrin was only ten weeks old when we left California. Hey, talk to Anne about that. You know Anne is my friend, and I would do anything for her. And she was gone as fleetingly as she had appeared. Call me later. Maybe I'll know more then. I didn't want to wait too long. I guess taking a kid unannounced out of school during the school year is okay. Still guessing the plane had not arrived in California, I called Anne's newfound friend, Selena, to see what she knew or what she could tell me. Whatever, Paul. Selena, did you know that Katrin's maternal grandmother and two of Anne's sisters had visited only briefly? Still family, you know. Selena barked off the phone, apparently to one of her kids. Family visits at night? My mother used to come then. Yeah, but one sister left in a huff when visiting. And misses time with her family. I miss my childhood. Nighttime in bed is such a special treat. I truly had no idea what Selena was rambling on about. Was it her or Anne she meant? Anne confronted her sister since her sister's husband molested Anne as a teenager. No five-year-old can be that thrilled with seeing people she doesn't know. Anne needs Katrin with her. My mother comforted me at night. We are close. This was not a visit, but a flight. Sounds like you and Anne better start communicating. Well, I'm trying to reach Katrin, so if you hear from Anne, let me know, okay? I'm sure you'll be the first to hear from me. Even Selena didn't know if or when Anne planned on returning, which did not reassure me, or, at least from the tone of her voice, she was not telling. Another phone call. Katrin? No. Paul? I just got off the plane with my attorney, Wilhelm Livid. It was Selena. I'm informing you that calling me by phone is harassment and you are never to call here again. Is that clear? You know why I called. You've been warned. I will press charges against you if you call. Stay away from my house and my kids. Have I ever bothered? Click. If she hadn't hung up on me, I would have pointed out the irony of phoning me to accuse me of phone harassment. <laughs> Ain't life strange. Sally, the call to my sister in California began. Sally is an attorney, a satisfying midlife second career for her, and no BS, a life's lesson from her divorce. It's Paul, and she's, I don't know where to start, but I guess Anne took off and is en route to California with Katrin. I wonder if you can check with Harriet and see if they show up there, okay? Harriet is my mother-in-law. Sure, Paul, are you all right? What happened? Did you have a fight? Did you file a writ of habeas corpus? Nope, darndest thing. And just took off. Took anything valuable also. I want to make sure Katrin is all right. I see. Sure. You mean Anne kidnapped Katrin? They are on their way to California? Is she on her meds? What about Katrin in school? Sally asked. That's right. Anne took her out of school and I found out they are flying to California. Sally had the foresight to call the Yorba Buena Police Department. Yorba Buena, Richard Nixonland, is a typical behind-the-orange-curtain suburb of Los Angeles. Orange County is in still mostly conservative John Wayne country and as such is a safe haven from the wanton ways of Los Angeles. Orange County is the epitome of the good life and the laid-back, carefree lifestyle for Californians who have made it and arrived. Orange Countyans enjoy their lifestyle and except for the Mexicans, drive-bys and congestion, life is great. The draw police officer informed Sally that there was not a great deal to be done. The child, as the officer correctly pointed out, 
was in no immediate danger, and Katrin was with her mother. So the cops' hands were tied, according to policy. What can they do? Do you have a court order demanding the child's return? Well, no. Then there's nothing that can be done. No crime has occurred, and while the child is with the mother, the assumption is that the child is fine unless I could inform them otherwise. Can you? Guess not. Sally had the foresight to email me a full report in case she needed a deposition for court. When Sally got to Harriet's house, the house was black with the shades drawn, but a night light was on and Harriet was cordial and invited Sally right in. Katrin was sleeping peacefully with her big Afghan on her mother's old bedroom after the long night flight. And Paul told me Katrin was here, Sally said. Katrin, upon hearing her favorite aunt's voice, glanced up at Sally and smiled, gave her a tired hug, and fell right back to sleep. Yes, I needed a break, so we flew out tonight, replied Anne. When is Katrin going back to school? Sally asked. I'll put her in school in the fall, Anne replied. Nevertheless, Sally kept her visit short and non-combative. She called me with the report that Katrin was at Harriet sleeping. The call came to me at 3 a.m., Eastern Standard Time. Paul, one last thing, Sally said. Bad news, nothing to do directly with Katrin, but Anne put Barney to sleep. Barney is Katrin's anchor. The floppy brown bach dachshund is the first view of the backyard when waking and in her morning signal that all is right with the world. What the hell? She said that she didn't want to take care of him. No word on the other pets or where they are or anything. All right. Prepared now, I guess. I got your report. Thanks. Get some sleep. Once the next morning dawned on California, I called for Katrin. Anne, I got your note. Can I talk to Katrin? By now you know she is fine. Fine enough to talk? No. Sally woke her up last night. Katrin is still asleep, Anne said. I heard Katrin singing. You are my sunshine in the background. What are you doing? Breakfast is fine, she called out, I assumed to Harriet. What are your plans? I plan to eat. What the hell is wrong with you? What do you mean? Anne toyed. Anne, you took Katrin. You've always left her home before. Home is where the heart is. When are you bringing her back to school? I talked to the teachers, and the teachers and the schoolwork is not that important, so it really doesn't matter. Katrin belongs in school now. When exactly are you bringing Katrin back? I don't know. I'm not sure right now. Maybe the fall. I just know that I need some time off, and you have to take care of your problems first. Why did you take everything then? Problems? What do you mean I took everything she hacked? I didn't take everything. The shabby stuff or worthless things you left behind. And yes, some things were left, but you took everything of value is my point. Where are the pets? I asked about Dante, Cinnamon, Barney, and Rocky. What did you do with the furniture? Everything is safe. I have it all. So when will you return Katrin? First, I want some things done, and you need to recognize that your personality has changed. You need help. What in the world are you talking about? Look, first of all, you need to call the Johnsons. I didn't say they did anything wrong. They let you know exactly what was going on. They picked up Katrin from school. I talked to Keith and Yvette, and you were really rude to them, making them feel bad. I had the cops call them for Katrin. Are husbands supposed to call the cops if the mothers are taking care of the kids? I was looking for Katrin. My friends are important to me. Apologize. Okay, okay. What else? And you need to apologize to Mrs. San Jacinto for threatening her. 
I didn't. Uh, okay, look, I talked to her because her kid cut Katrin's eye on the bus. Isn't Katrin our kid? You frightened Mrs. San Jacinto. You scared her. Here's the deal. See a counselor because of your personality problems and get an MRI because you've had a personality change. Anne was throwing down the gauntlet and she had what I wanted. Katrin. Look, Keith, my call to Mr. Johnson began. Anne seems to think that you felt badly about her going to California and the cops calling you. Just call her. Tell her anything she wants to hear and let her know there are no bad feelings, okay? I want Katrin back home. They accepted my apology. Mission one accomplished. Hello? Mrs. San Jacinto? This is Paul, Anne's husband. Look, I'm sorry about the misunderstanding at the bus stop. Maybe I overreacted. Will you accept my apology? I'd like this to blow over so Katrin can come home. This is a big deal, Mrs. San Jacinto said. Look, we don't know what happened. Katrin and your child are small, and while on the bus together, somehow Katrin ended up with a cut over her eye. You have your version. I've spoken to my attorney. There was some sort of altercation. Your child is bigger and heavier. So now my kid's fat, right? My husband is a peace officer in the township. He can make life difficult for you. They called the school district and they told me their policy. They just asked kids not to sit near each other after a problem. There is no problem. I heard you apologize, but my husband will keep an eye on you. I'll keep Anne posted. Anne got involved and a revised version of what occurred differed from mine because now I sounded angry and threatening. But for the time being, I got what Anne wanted. In any case, mission two accomplished. I don't see anything psychologically questionable, but I believe you are understandably distraught. I went to the session at Thanatos counseling arranged by Anne. Dr. Mason is too sympathetic for Anne. He got her on the phone. Mrs. Theus, I'm afraid that I cannot agree with your assessment. I wait for the boom to fall. Really? Anne responded. I don't see it that way. He needs an MRI. Mrs. Theus, Paul is not an abuser. You're entitled to your opinion. Why not make an appointment when you return to Pennsylvania? Bring Katrin back. I'd be glad to see you and Paul. Somehow I don't see myself doing that. I need to go. And with that, Anne hung up. Mr. Theus, I don't find anything strange about your behavior. This is what I suppose most ticks are off, though. You suggested that she returns Katrin. Anne has a stable of cultivated pet therapists. She's had several of them on her string for years. Then I'm just sticking and rocking the boat for her, Mason concluded. I'm afraid so, but that's not good. I know you tried. Thanks for that. Mission three accomplished. You can put your clothes back on. I'm finished with the examination. Dr. Rander Silverman of Brandy River Memorial Hospital stated, I understand that you know, and she won't be satisfied unless I get that MRI. You are in perfect health for your age. There is no need of that. She thinks I have a strange personality change. Wouldn't an MRI show whether something is wrong? That's quite true, but Anne is a tech. She does not order a procedure without a, any warrant. Wait right here. I'll be right back. I put my clothes on and waited, but I heard Silverman's muffled but discernible voice through the thin office wall. Mrs. Doe, Anne asked me as a courtesy to call at this precise time for her convenience. Then silence. No, wrong. 
I don't expect to be kept waiting. I'd like her to call me immediately when she gets in. Then there was a moment of quiet. No, that is certainly not what she told me. A long pause ensued. Good day, ma'am. I heard the receiver firmly put down. Once Silverman returned, I said, Anne will not be pleased. And look, I'm only asking for the scan because I need to get our daughter back. I'm sure you can appreciate that. Yes, Anne needs to learn a bit about medical procedures and protocol. As I see it, you are fine, and there is no medical reason to order any more tests, and Anne is not qualified to make medical judgments. She is a staff tech and nothing more. Can I quote you on the fact that I'm healthy? Of course. Good luck with your daughter, but being healthy is not good news. I understand this is not what she expected, but I need to speak with Anne and inform her as soon as she calls. Thank you, doctor. Sorry for the trouble. Mission four accomplished, but the examination did not confirm Anne's prognosis. She forced me to find evidence that I am physically healthy. I left with the good doctor, obviously miffed with Anne, and I had to confront her. Look, Anne, I've done all that you've asked. Now what? Will you bring Katrin back home? This is Mick, the Doctor of Digital, signing off. Mick, as in Jagger, except he's got more money. Mick, the Doctor of Digital, signing off. The Doctor of Digital, like cotton candy for your ears. Deus Volt. (laughs) 